Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I will be damned if the same politicians who refused to act then are going to try to come back today. The real content of any kind of revolutionary thrust lies in the, in, in the principles and the goals that you're striving for. When the powerful use their position to bully others, we all lose. A system of justice will be the richer for diversity of background and experience. Correction! Hello, everybody. It's me, Miss Cracker. I'm here with my co-pilot, Caitlin, and it's time for She's a Woman! It's a podcast for every human being who looks into the mirror and says, she's a woman. And for the people who love them, every week, especially now that we're on a little break from tour, we talk to incredible women of all kinds from all walks of life and invite them to share their stories with you our incredible listeners. And that's exactly what we're going to do today. Now, Caitlin, you and I are about to hit the road again, this time to Canada, which for some reason feels like one of our most exotic countries we've ever been to. I'm like... I know. It also, not to out Canada, but it has like one of the most complicated um, like post-COVID entry processes that we have to figure out, which... I guess it's good because they're being extra, extra safe. cautious. Yeah. yeah, but from my standpoint, I'm like Jesus, Jesus Christ. Christ. Yeah, it feels. I don't really know much about Canada. I'm like, it's cold up there. And <laughs> exactly. I'm there's veg- a lot of it. Yeah, and there's a lot of it, and we're going to be going across by bus. So yeah. I'm like, we're going to see a country I know nothing about. Weirdly, I mean, I've been to Vancouver once and like Toronto once or something like yeah. that. But that's it. And Celine Dion is from there, mm-hmm. and, and that- Shania Twain. That, oh, yeah. and Justin Bieber mm-hmm. and Avril Lavigne. Yeah, that like connect <laughs> those four dots and you have like a really like interesting yeah. sample. And, and of... that they eat poutine. Right. And uh, that's it. That's, that's it. kind of it. Yeah. And we went up there one time and kissed a fish. In... Oh, yeah, Newfoundland. I have seen Come From Away. Yeah. Love it. Love yeah. it. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> I have seen Come From Away. So basically, I'm I from know. there. Basically, I know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so the, we're going because I'll be hosting War on the Catwalk, which features some of the fiercest queens from Drag Race and also me. So for our Canadian listeners, head over to dragfans.com for more info to like, Join us and watch Caitlin and I explore this beautiful, unexplored land. But Caitlin, back to you. I got distracted. We just got off a tour with some real touring professionals. What are some of the values you're going to take with you to the next tour, like little tricks and tips that you learned for the next bus tour? Because this is going to be a big one. Um. Well, it's going to be very different. It's going to be so very I different. We're going to have a lot many, of girls with us. Don't know how many of our tips will be uh, actually useful that yeah. we learned. But I'm, I'm going to try and decorate my bunk. Yeah. I think that's a big one because yeah. on our last tour, the ladies and gentlemen mm-hmm. decorated their bunks with like fairy lights and uh, Betsy Johnson blankets. Yeah, and they like got shelves and like used 
like mounting tape to like put little shelves in their bunks yep. and everything. It yep. was wild. Yeah. I don't know. We just have never thought of doing that. Just like little <laughs> things, like always carry your own fork and knife and spoon because sometimes in the morning you wake up and all of the disposable stuff has been used up. So if you yeah. have your own, then you always, or if you always have your own little special cup, then you never have to worry about running out of paper cups. Like yeah. you're prepared stuff for any like situation. That, yeah. yeah. So to our team at our last tour, we want to say thank you for teaching us a lot of different wisdom and we'll never yeah, forget. We'll never forget. <laughs> anyway, Craitlin, I want to dive right into our weekly interview because we have a very special, wonderful guest today. But first I have a little treat for you. Every week, we do a little segment called Here's the Good News, where we share positive stories torn from the headlines. The idea is that they'll bring you, our listeners, a little hope during these difficult times, which have been difficult for two years now. I know. Happy anniversary. (laughs) And this week, our news is all about women taking power. Now, if you're like Caitlin and I, you spend a lot of time wondering what the world would be like if women got the power they deserved. What if drag tours were run by women, for example? But also, what if America was run by women? Or if Earth was run by women? (laughs) Well, we may have a tiny little bit of insight into that coming up. Okay, here's the good news. The city of Las Cruces in New Mexico will soon have women representing all six of its city council district seats, joining a short list of all women governing bodies. According to 19thnews.org, Las Cruces is a city of roughly 100,000 people in the southern part of New Mexico with a long to-do list of policy issues around the pandemic, the economy, and general equity. How an all-women city council might address them is yet to be determined, but in my mind, there's an amazing opportunity for these ladies to do business as not usual. I think I'm coming into it with this idea that, as cliche as this may sound, Maybe this is going to be a space where leaders are more willing to listen to one another, said Becky Graham, the newly elected counselor. I love this story because it highlights something important. Women taking power still makes headlines, which it shouldn't because it should be normal and understandable and unnewsworthy. But I also like this story because it's the beginning of a story. You have these women embarking on something that could be amazing because they have an opportunity to operate in a different way. And we get to watch the story begin as it's being written. So thank you for sharing this news story with me. Yeah, it's very exciting. It's it's funny because I feel like the world still resists women in power, clearly. And yeah. It feels like it's still very hard for women to get elected in the same way. So it's, it's exciting to see it develop and hope that, just hope that maybe more change will happen like that. Right, and yeah. More people in America will be ready for that. I mean, obviously, before this article, I knew that there were so few governing bodies that in- incorporated mm-hmm. women, but I hadn't really thought of how few. And, like, yeah. the idea of women being in the majority is just being so rare to the point where this little city can make the news for yeah. women women yeah. being represented. I like, I've never heard of this city. Yeah, I hadn't either. Yeah, but, you know, it's so rare and it's such a big deal that people are writing about it and people are curious about how it's going to go. Yeah, I hope that they really do take this is an opportunity to make a new template and Mm -hmm. that other cities will follow. So everybody, if you are involved at all politically, or if you're not, look for opportunities to support women that uh, represent the ideals that you believe in because it's time for women's voices to be heard on the local level and the national level in a new way. It's really time. So 
thank you so much. And Caitlin, after all of that thinking, because I, I really struggled to get through some of those governmental words. It's a really rough morning <laughs> for both really, of us yeah. today. Oh my God. <laughs> Let's take a little break and a little breather, and then we'll be right back. Okay. We're back. Now, before we continue, let me say this. If you enjoy your time with us today, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. We love reviews! <laughs> In fact, we love them so much. We're going to read some of our favorite reviews at the end of the show. But right now, Caitlin, we have a special guest to introduce. I'm very excited to have her on the show, aren't you? I'm very excited. She's an old friend. She's an old friend. Yeah. She has been... So close to us through pandemics, through different seasons of Drag Race and other disasters. Yeah, and yeah. she has always been supportive. Yep, and in my dreams, she and I are going to have a TV show one day where we change people's lives with cooking. Yeah. But for now, I'm very excited to say that we have Carla Lolly Music. Everybody, Carla Lolly Music is an American chef cookbook author and YouTube personality. She is very well known for her appearances and hosting in the popular back-to-back -back chef video series, which is how we met her. She had the privilege of cooking alongside both Chef Cracker and Dr. <laughs> Dill. But mm. now Carla is launching a whole new chapter of her life. She's launching a podcast. She has newly released this incredible cookbook that I've been diddling around with called That Sounds so good, um, or soy good, as Nicole Kidman would say. Uh, she's about to go big with her dreams, and that's what we want to find out about today. So, Carla, welcome to the podcast. Where are you? How are you? What are you doing? I am so good. I am so happy we are finally doing this. I'm in yes. my, I'm in my home in Brooklyn, and. I don't know. My phone died in the middle of the night and I slept through my alarm. So maybe it was a sign. <laughs> it was a sign yeah. from goddesses that maybe I needed it. And so that's, you know, that's okay. Yeah. I set my alarm for PM instead of AM, which was great, like for 9 PM. And I woke up like an hour later than I intended to. And uh, yeah, we've been having trouble with our Wi-Fi, And uh, yeah, it's been, it's been one of those days, but yeah, I am. We've been talking about having you on this podcast for a really long time. And we wanted to wait till you were launching your podcast in order to, to do yes. that. So yeah. I wanted to, uh, before we dive into talking about all the great things that you're doing, I want to ask over the past few years during the pandemic, there's been this tremendous wave of people stepping into the kitchen because the pandemic was driving yes. them crazy. And I was wondering, did you have friends like me calling you up saying like, hey, girl, you're a chef. Can you help mm -hmm. me? Like, did you, would you <laughs> become like the family doctor in that way? I did a little bit. I had some friends who definitely were like, you know, cooking every single day like I was for their families or for whoever they live with, as opposed to, you know, we used to go out like three nights a week. There was a definite uptick, but the thing that really was happening that I had no idea there would be so much of a, a need for was I was filming videos remotely from home. And the feedback that I was getting on those was, was truly amazing. People feeling like having that um, content, for lack of a better word, was just like a lifesaver. And it's funny because a lot of people have said like, oh, your videos were such a comfort to me in the pandemic and just, you know, the recipes and stuff we were doing from home. People don't realize 
it was a lifesaver for me just to have the structure of a thing that I had to do, you know, on the days that I was filming Right was, you know, gave this, we were all topsy-turvy and upside down and to have something that I was like, okay, I don't know what's going on and I don't know how long this is going to last. Like my kids are home, my spouse is home. Like this is a freaking nightmare, you know? (laughs) But to know that like at two o'clock, I need to make this pantry pasta because people are at home and they need to make dinner. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, it gave me, it made me realize how important, you know, look, like my job is food. I talk about cookies and turkeys. It's like pretty light. Um, But then like, well, cookies and turkeys are actually like the most important thing that people are thinking about right now. So it's funny that you should say that. Like I had a similar experience in drag because I I would sort of grumbly get into drag um, Mm -hmm. to do my digital projects Mm -hmm. and not really think about what I was doing. But then I would get a lot of feedback from people saying like your little regular missives and yeah. your online content really gave us something to laugh at and look forward to over the pandemic. And then yeah. ultimately I found that, well, if I didn't have my regular drag schedule, I would have gone completely insane too. Like we had projects that we were doing that got us up out of bed and doing the thing and yep. we needed it. We needed it. Yep. And That's an important lesson that, you know, sometimes you're not um, like in an office. Sometimes you're not out on the street protesting. Sometimes you're not doing something that you think of as important, but it actually is important to you and it is actually important to other people. So remember to, to value that. Yeah. yeah. It also really affirmed for me the connection between food and feelings, which is a big part of, you know, what I've been talking about for many years and that and how how important it's not just a meal. It's sort of this like one time in your day when you lean into like pleasure, you know, and, and yeah. sustenance and taking care of yourself. So, um, yeah, for all the people who didn't have a freezer filled with frozen pizzas, I'm here for you. America. We are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. To serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come, find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, I was going to talk about this later, but this is actually a good moment to talk about it. In your new book, that sounds so good. In the beginning, you talk a little bit about the like kind of sacred nature of food and how it allows people mm-hmm. connect to connect to themselves and to connect to each other. And I was wondering if mm-hmm. you could talk a little bit about, okay, why why does it matter that we focus on uh, pleasure together like is is that really important why do you think that's important yeah yeah I mean food for me has been so connected with togetherness in terms of whether it was with my family or with friends or occasions and that's not unique right I mean I say that and then when I talk to people about it they're like oh yeah of course that's kind of basic to so many people it's basically universal and if you think about just breaking bread together and what that what that means to like be in community together to sit down together to be generous with each other to share and to let your 
defenses down because when you're eating, you're, you know, you should be relaxed. And food is one of the very few things in our lives that give us sustenance and pleasure. Like it should be that they're always bound together. And there's just not that many other things like that, yeah. you know, and whatever that, whatever that means for you, you know, it can be a creative act and it can be a way to relax. It can be uh, a time out when you're cooking, but then even when you're cooking just for yourself, I find those are pauses in my day that I wouldn't otherwise take. So that's why I just really believe in the, in the power of food to be this emotional driver too. And when I was out on the road for my first book, Where Cooking Begins, I kept hearing from people yeah. who were like, oh, your recipe is, you know, I spent time with my mom because of that. Mm-hmm. Or I started having friends over again, or I recovered from disordered eating because of it. And, you know, that's, those things are, those, that's a big deal. Yeah. And that's why I kind of want to say, like, I know to you, it seems very basic. And it it is a really basic thing to understand that food is about togetherness and a connection to yourself and pleasure and all that. But we always forget the most basic things. And I think for myself, Mm -hmm. I like, uh, especially over the past couple of months, because uh, I was partnered for a long time, thanks to the pandemic, not anymore. Mm -hmm. And I Mm. started to have people over to my apartment to cook for them. And I hadn't done that in so long, in like five years. And I like realized how much I had fallen off of cooking to connect with myself Mm -hmm. because I was always eating garbage Mm -hmm. out of the refrigerator and cooking to connect Mm -hmm. with other people because I hadn't had people over in so long. And suddenly it's like when you uh, stand up off of sitting cross-legged and you realize that one of your legs has been asleep this whole time. You just didn't know it was that kind of thing. (laughs) You're like, oh my God, I didn't even realize this part of my life was missing. And it was such a beautiful thing. And Where Cooking Begins, your other cookbook, I started like Mm -hmm. figuring out things through there and through Julia Tertian as well and Mm -hmm. kind of figuring out, okay, I am a person in the kitchen and I have, yes, I have this way of sharing my heart with people and my, my creativity and expressing myself through food. You're like saying like, isn't it pretty? It's because I like you a lot and that's why you're here. You know (laughs) what I mean? So exactly. But also you are such a person in the kitchen. I mean, when I met you, I was like, oh, this she can cook like we're this is we're gonna the, we, we can do this and even when we did our our latka episode you know all of those family stories and the the way that cooking connects you to the people who have come before you yeah. is so is so powerful and so wild you know um and that could be family members or it could be like an ingredient that really makes you think about everybody else who uses uses that ingredient like when I make turkey on Thanksgiving, which is one of my favorite foods to make, yeah. I think, you know, turkey is a is an indigenous ingredient in, in the Americas. Yeah. And so when you're making turkey, you're like, you know, just, you know, for me to like think through all of those generations yeah. of people who cook turkey, it's really wild. And to get to do that while you're making turkey, I don't know, it's just very transcendent, but I'm not good, <laughs> good at like most other creative things like I can't sing and I can't dance. Um, you know, I can't play an instrument. Uh, I can't draw. So I have this one thing. <laughs> like, let me, can I just have this one thing? Yeah. <laughs> like, really make it major. And, and what's, yeah. and you, and you, 
do make it major. What's what's funny to me is that I've gotten to travel all over the world with my drag. And the number one thing that people say when they come up to me is, oh, we loved you on back to back, which is kind of the oh reverse of what you, you'd think that, oh, I loved you on season 10 or whatever. But people are like, I loved you on back to back. Right. We love right. the, the locker video and the sandwich video. And like that's like people really, really connected with those episodes. So obviously um, people love a crossover. Yeah, they do. So if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't <laughs> seen those episodes, yeah, mm-hmm. in, you will get to see Carla and I when we were first meeting just a nice Italian lady a nice Jewish lady in the kitchen making some ravioli. (laughs) We were so young and and plump. And hopeful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in my skin, I mean, in my skin, my skin was so plump. (laughs) Because we hadn't been hauled through so much. Yeah. Um, You're kind of making me think, I was like, well, why, why do I have that thing about cooking? Why do I love it so much? And why do I connect with it? And I think it's because my mother built our family around food, around the kitchen. And mm-hmm. she was always buying cookbooks or getting cookbooks from the library and trying recipes from all around the world. And she made us a different flavor, different experience every night. And she so cool. got my sister and I into this thinking about food as an adventure or a way of traveling mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. And so... We Mm -hmm. as kids, my sister and I started doing the same thing. We would get old sunset magazines with questionably authentic, but, you know, allegedly authentic recipes from around the world and and cook them to give our parents the experience that they gave us. So I think a lot of it was passed down. That's so cute. And the reason I mentioned that, Carla, is because I want to rewind a little bit in your story and go back to the very beginning you, uh, Miss yeah. Music, um, grew up in an Italian-American family, mm-hmm. and your mother was mm-hmm. a cookbook editor for Simon & Schuster, and I wanted to know... Yeah, she was. Can you can you talk about how that possibly sh- shaped the chef experience for you? Oh, yeah. I mean, my mom is such a major um, influence on me and, and a muse in so many ways, but bef- and before she was a cookbook editor, she was a caterer and a food writer. Um, she did restaurant reviews and wrote, just wrote about food. And she was self-taught. She was the oldest in a family of three mm-hmm. in the 40s. Her father passed away when she was four and her brothers were two and like six months old. So she was raised by a single mom, single working mom yeah. um, in the 40s and 50s. And she really started cooking because it was like, my grandmother was not a great cook and she was like, somebody needs <laughs> somebody to needs deal. To <laughs> somebody needs to take it, take charge here. Yeah. Um, and so she started cooking for her little family. And as a, as an adult, I think she cooked her way through Julia Child, you know, who yeah. was like a big influence on her. Mm-hmm. And so growing up, I grew up in a house with, you know, an amazing cook and we she cooked we we would eat out you know a couple nights a week because of my mom's connection to the professional kind of restaurant world and then her food at home was so amazing so everywhere i went it was like the food was good yeah um and so i think i just had like a healthy and very positive relationship with food because the food was good but i didn't start cooking until i was in college because right. you know it was it's funny, it wasn't like a thing 
that I was trying to learn from her. I think I was just absorbing what it meant to eat well. Um, yeah. And when I got to college, I was like, well, this is not good. Like that, we all can be, yeah. <laughs> we can all be clear. Like this cafeteria food is not yeah, yeah, yeah. doing it for me. So when I moved, when I moved off campus, that's when I called her and said, you know, can you tell me what the recipe is for the pasta fagioli that she would make all the time on the weekends? And that's the first recipe of hers I learned how to make. So it was really not until way later um, that I got into it professionally. It was it was just my hobby and something I really enjoyed doing. So you were at Brown University for modern culture mm-hmm. and media. That's what you were studying. Can you talk about mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. got you into that, where you were planning to go as it started? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's so funny to be like, what do you study in college? Like, oh, you know, semiotics. Right. Like, no, exactly. I mean, I just, I studied ancient literature. So right. I don't know <laughs> where that yeah, ties super, in. Yeah. But isn't that what college is for? Yeah. Right? For us to just, you know, it's pretty indulgent um, time yeah. as far as like delaying adulthood. Um, <laughs> so modern culture and media <laughs> was... It was, I really loved it. It was sort of a combination of um, like comparative literature, history, Mm -hmm. uh, critical, critical thinking, you know, there was like the Derrida and the Foucault, but also we read, you know, Pride and Prejudice. And so I loved it because it taught me what was fun because it, whatever it was like, it was cool, but it. It also taught me just how to create an argument. You know, yeah. there was just a lot of reading something and then finding, you know, a critical analysis on it. Yeah. So I think I I just kind of learned how to be a writer or how to how to question things. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But I had no idea. You know, I had no idea what my how is this leading. You know, a lot of people who I graduated with went into filmmaking or academia or you know, became, became writers. But when I got out, I, I went into book publishing because. That's the same thing I did, Carla. I also went into book publishing. Yeah. And I moved to Seattle straight out of college and was working for this like really tiny publisher. What was the publisher? And I think my Bay Press. Oh my God. I've heard of them. Yeah. um, Yeah. They're, they're very cool. But when I, when I got a job with them, they had just the women who, who bought it had just bought it from the guy who had ran it from the beginning. And so I was working for a couple, one of whom worked at Microsoft mm-hmm. and the other one sort of ran the publishing company. And I was in this city, you know, new city and I was alone like all the time, just in the office, like kind of, you know, without a rudder. Yeah. It wasn't fun. The reason, <laughs> the reason I want to talk about that time and stuff is because I think a lot of people are told when they're young that when you choose Mm -hmm. an area of study in college, first of all, you have to get into a great college. But second of all, you have to know exactly what you're doing and choose your life path, you know, by the end of freshman year. And when you graduate, you have to know what career path you're diving into. Do you know what I mean? Like, and I just want it to be clear to people that, yeah, you can do a lot of wonderful things in life and, do something weird in college, something weird after, and then flail around for a bit before you yeah. figure out what the hell's going on. Because that's definitely what I did. Totally. Yeah. So you yeah. were like rudderless 
in Seattle. And then what's the connection between that and going to the French Culinary Institute? Right. So we have to skip. Yeah, we have to skip. Mm -hmm. So I moved back. I was dating my uh, college boyfriend Mm -hmm. who had graduated before me in Seattle. And he was in med school. It was awful. It was like kind of the worst 10 months of my life. Um, And so... In the rain. And I didn't like Seattle. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, in the rain, exactly. Like the foghorns and the I just was I was like, this is not for me. (laughs) Everybody was like, but the there's like hiking and you know, canoeing. And you're like, but it's raining. I'm not into either one of those. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, cool. That's not what I'm into. Um so I moved back to New York and got another job in book publishing and then got a job like the first internet boom of the of the late 90s um ended up at a at a website um and then everybody got fired like eight months later or 10 months later everyone was fired from this website and we we all got six week severances and I was like freelancing, but I really didn't want to keep going with the editing. It was boring. I would like literally fall asleep at work. And I just thought you can't have a, that's, you can't have a job where you fall asleep. Like that's not, right. that's not okay. And my dad said to me, if you ever wanted to go back to school, like this would be a great time, like natural break. And I was like, the only kind of school I'd want to go to is, is cooking school. And so then I did, I took the six month professional program at French Culinary Institute and that was it. Like once I got there, I was like, I don't know what, you know, a little bit like college. I don't know exactly what I'm going to do with this, but I know I'm in the right field. Like right. I want to do this for the rest of my life. Yeah, I'm never going to run out of things to learn or be excited about. And I think also I I liked being physical in my job, you yeah. know, being being on my feet and and having adrenaline and some danger and stress, I think, just like clicked in with my very O of the OCD personality. Yeah. And I just was like, this, this is it. So that was really, that was the real beginning. That's so interesting. I, I mean, obviously, I love to be physical in my job as well. Mm-hmm. I did, I did work in publishing for a long time and I did editing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I also would just like fall asleep at my job, probably because I was doing drag on so the side. Crazy. But I uh, I just know what it's like to be, right. you'd be like, you're like, okay, <laughs> so someone has done something great. I'm going to help them make it perfect. All right can't do this. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I, I'm yes. going to like yes. line editing and macro editing and all of that. For some reason, like it, do- it does feel like the obsessive compulsive part of my personality as far as like, I love grammar, yeah. but it's just, I need to use right. my right. body. Um, so I went out mm. into drag at some point and you went out into the food industry and Kind of in a major way, you worked as a line chef for some pretty important people. Yeah. And then you would go on to be a general manager for Shake Shack. And how did all of that develop? Yeah. So the first 10 years of my food career, my cooking career, were in restaurants. Mm -hmm. Um, And I started out as a line cook at Montrachet, which was, you know, a fancy French restaurant in Tribeca. And learned from a guy who was very like the if you just close your eyes and picture like French chef, (laughs) this is the guy. He was like six feet tall in the dictionary, yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, exactly. 
and would scream, scream at the cook, scream at the waiters. I, he actually, I, he's a very sweet guy, and right. we're we're still in touch. But you know, it was that kind of restaurant experience yeah. where, you know, sometimes the the waiters would come in and be like, "They can hear you in the dining room. Like, can you stop?" <laughs> I want to go to that restaurant, kind of. <laughs> oh, God. And we would all be like, uh, yeah, you are yelling, yeah. you know. And for some reason, I really liked that. So that's, you know, something weird about me. And then and then from there, I went to Union Pacific and worked for Rocco Despirito. And again, started out as a line cook. And it was, you know, it was really, it's really, really hard work. It's like 14 hour days, extremely physical. I was not 21, like half the cooks in the kitchen. So I, you know, I was, uh, I realize now, like even as a 26 year old, I was like a grown up, you know, and yeah. I love the work and I learned so much, but it was truly, it's like unsustainable long term. Right. So I wanted to stop cooking. I actually quit my job after about a year. I went to the sous chef and was like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. You know, physically, emotionally, just like, I don't have it. And he was like, whoa, 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 like, let's talk to the chef. And before you do anything, you know, I'm sure he's going to want to have a conversation with you. And I was like, okay, but you know, I quit. So then the, um, the chef Rocco sat me down and was like, I have a different job for you. Uh, if you want it. And that would be kitchen manager where you would be in charge of ordering and receiving and the schedule. And he was like, and I'm writing a cookbook and I need someone with your kind of experience to help me through that cookbook production, the whole thing. And he was doing like a lot of media appearances yeah. and he needed someone to be his like media person. So it was really crazy like this whole chapter of my life that I thought I tossed out, you know, the book publishing years where I was like, okay, we're taking a hard left here. Yeah. Like what does being a line cook have to do with, you know, book publishing, nothing. And then just two or three years later, I find myself, oh, I have line cook experience, but now this publishing experience somehow is really coming in handy with this new position. And he was really smart because he he knew what my background was and was like, I can I can use this person. So then I worked for him for like four years and learned, you know, we did two cookbooks that we produced in the basement of the restaurant. I learned everything about the business side of restaurants, which if you if you need a quick and easy way to find out that that restaurants are not a good idea. Um, just spend like six months balancing the books. <laughs> it's like, oh, this is a terrible, this is just a really bad business model. Really hard to make money. You know what's funny? Like everyone, when they advise me about their field, if say like, mm -hmm. if it's a drag queen, they're like, don't, don't get into drag unless you really blah, blah, mm -hmm. blah. Or like, a uh, professor will be like, you know, it's really hard to get into this field and academia is so difficult, but no one yeah. is more enthusiastic than a restaurant <laughs> owner when they say, don't yeah. do this. Yeah. Don't do this yeah. to yourself, like shaking you by the <laughs> collar. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the irony there is that then, you know, from, from there, skipping a few beats, I did end up as a general manager yep. at Shake Shack, <laughs> yep. which was, 
you know, the, the, the hardest by far, hardest job ever, harder than any three-star service I'd ever been through, yeah. even though it's hamburgers and hot dogs and fries. I was like, this is the hardest service I've ever worked. Yeah. And the one that made the most money. Right. <laughs> so like, you know, the irony was like at the end, you're like, oh, it's fast casual where you cut out the dining room yep. and the customers and the tables and the china and the silver and yeah. the whole thing. Then you can make money. Yeah. And and that's the one I got out of before they went public. So that's a cool thing about me. <laughs> <laughs> what a blessing, you know. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Like people I hired as interns are like millionaires, I think. <laughs> you chose so, your moment. That's cool. You know? I'm so happy for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> why did yeah. you why did you step mm-hmm. away if it's not too yeah. It was too hard and I was too tired. Yeah. Like when I for Shake Shack's very, very different now. But when I was there, I was the first general manager at the first location in Madison Square Park. Wow. I learned so much and that organization taught me how what hospitality could really be, you know, as far as the management side of it. And I have like nothing but positive memories about the people who, who I work for, who hired me and who mentored me and who took it, took a chance on me. But we were starting from scratch. Like there were no written down recipes. There was no training materials. The business was like growing explosively, which was amazing but we had no space to store. You had no roadmap. Like literally, no, yeah. it ran out of space to store the burgers. Yeah. Like it was, it was just really, it was really hard. The conditions being, you know, basically outdoors were really hard. And I knew that it was going to grow, but I just didn't, I was like, I don't have three more years to kind of hang on to see what happens when there's a second location, a third location. Right Now there's like, 50 locations, but it was the right choice for me. Um, And it led me to food media because I left Shake Shack and then was consulting. And a friend introduced me to someone who had just started working at Everyday Food at Martha Stewart. Yeah. And uh, was hiring. And I was like, well, I'll go on some interviews. Like there's no, you know, there's nothing to lose. And then I'll get this experience of kind of going through the HR and recruiting experience at Martha Stewart because everyday food was like one of the one of the titles uh it's online only now but then I got that job and that job led me to Bon Appetit and that led me to where I am today so it's all nothing is linear it's so much more like a telephone cord of circles that just keep going around and around and around but somehow this is the same the same thread yeah one thing leads to another you know that led you like to skip a few beats to 2019 when you were starting back to back and that's when we met. And I wanted to know how back to back started. Oh gosh. It's so crazy. Yeah. So back to back actually started with a completely kind of flipped um, concept. The concept was it would be a celebrity chef every week with an ordinary human. Yeah. So the very first one was Gordon Ramsay and he was making crab cakes with this like guy, you know, who was like an average home cook, but really obviously could not keep up with, with Gordon Ramsay. Right. And that one did, you know, multi-million views, right? Yeah. So was, at the time that it came out for the, for the Bon Appetit channel, it was like, Oh my God, jet, you know, we hit a jackpot. Yeah. And then they did, but like, you can't get Gordon Ramsay every week. Right. So 
Then they did one with Bobby Flay, mm-hmm. and it did, like, okay. And then they did one with um, Daniel Balud, and again, it did, like, okay. And then they realized, like, finding celebrity chefs who can scale on YouTube, yeah. which is, like, the whatever industry word for, like, get a lot of clicks, yep. um, is a lot harder than getting just celebrities because there's always someone promoting something. So it could be music, film, TV, whatever, and pair them with someone who's always around, um, which was me. So they kind of like the video team came to me and said, like, we want to keep doing this, but what if you were the teacher and the other person was actually like the average cook was a celebrity. Yeah, And I was like, uh, you want to pair me with celebrities in a regular, like, give me a series? Like, yes. That'd be great. You know, yeah. 100%. Yeah. But the part that I didn't like was that in the original concept, the the drama or the tension was in the fact that the that the cook couldn't keep up with the chef, right? So when Gordon Ramsay turns around with his perfect crab cakes, the other person has, like, a dumpster fire on a plate and it's ha ha ha. Like that's the, you know, that was the fun of it. And that just seemed like the very first one they directed me in was with Marlon Wayans and they were directing me, coaching me to be like mean and harsh and like, hurry up. And like, you need to be at the next step. Like you're falling behind. And they kind of cut out all the parts of the video where I'd laughed at his jokes and made it, you know, tried to make it this, like I was cracking the whip and I was so uncomfortable, but I was also so afraid to push back against the director. You know, it's like you get put into production. You're like, okay, this is what they're telling me I have to do for this to do well. Um, But afterwards I was really uncomfortable and we had a couple of conversations where I was like, I think that it's more fun and it's more on brand and it's definitely like more what we're doing with these videos, teaching people to cook. If that, if the celebrity, like the, the goal should be the celebrities plate of food and my plate of food, like really are the same. Yeah. That's the, the joy. That's the fun. And if they're not um, terrified and helping them get there. Exactly. And so they like went with it and that became kind of the concept going forward. I think you were my second, Yes. Shut I think up. My first one was Natalie Portman. Yeah, I think it was Natalie Portman. And then it was you. Two Jewish ladies. Which was, <laughs> I know. And petite ones yeah, as well. so amazing. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was Natalie such a- Portman walked into the room. I was like, we are the same height. <laughs> oh, she's so, she, and she's gorgeous. Do you make, you, you must have made something vegan. We made something, exactly. So she was promoting... a a documentary about vegan, about, you know, vegan food and the planet, and it had to be vegan. So we, I made up kind of this like crazy watermelon carpaccio where we had to like hack a part of a watermelon and break open coconuts and, you know, just do um, things with a mandolin. And it was as theatric as I could come up with. And she, she walked in and said, to me, like, oh my God, I'm so nervous. Yeah. And I was like, you're Natalie Portman. Like, what are you talking about? You're nervous. Yeah. I was like, I'm nervous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she was like, she was like, I can't really cook. Like my my husband does all the cooking. And I was like, oh, well, I can cook. You know, it was like this 
moment of like, oh, we're just going to cook together. Yeah. And, and then that's, and that's what we did. Yeah. It was kind of amazing. So, okay. I want to, I want to ask this. I've been thinking about this because I have a chef with me right now and uh, I want to take Ooh. advantage of your expertise. Uh, you, I mean, um, <laughs> okay. So oh, I was like, Oh, who, who else, else is there? there? Please. <laughs> your well, alter Bobby ego? Flay is here. <laughs> <laughs> no, having you with me right now, I'm like, Okay, I'm on the road for months at a time and then home for like two weeks. Yes. And I always hit the grocery store yeah. and I get, this is what I get. Eggs, milk, bread, 30 different mm-hmm. kinds of cheese, water crackers, hummus, and pasta. Mm-hmm. And I kind of want to know, like, what items should I have in my house? Because like, I have olive oil, I have salt and pepper, and like, I have the basic, but what are some sure. items that I should be bringing into my kitchen that could liven up my kitchen life uh, without me yeah. that, that I, that I maybe don't think about as much as I should. And I feel yeah. like you condiments yeah, are the perfect I person. Would say, I would say you need some condiments okay. because like 60% of my fridge is condiments, um, condiments like hot sauce, okay. you know, uh, your, um, even to me, like yogurt is a condiment, mm-hmm. all of pickles are condiments, Tabasco, Worcester sauce, capers, okay. you know, cornichon, miso, um, all of those things, like they don't go bad. So it doesn't matter if you're gone for three or four months, like miso is fermented, like all of these things are not going to change while they're in the fridge. They're pickled, they're, you know, whatever they are, they're fine. Yeah, you can leave them. But those are the kinds of ingredients that when you take one blob of them, yeah. you know, you're really adding like 10 or 11 different flavors okay. to whatever you're cooking. So I don't have to have my bowl of like uh, buttered pasta. I can have something with a little kick to it. Yeah. Something with a little kick, but like parm to me is, you know, a condiment. And so is anchovy and caper. Yeah. So you could come home with your pasta and make, um, if you have canned tomatoes, you could make a puttanesca sauce. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I have all the tools and everything in my kitchen. They're, they're ready and waiting. So, and I like when I have months at a time, it's easy for me to, uh, I'll go and buy things for the recipes that I'm making. But when you just have, when you're home just a little bit at a time, and I feel like some people live yeah. that way. Like my sister lives that way because she's a nurse. So she'll be gone for huge tracks mm-hmm. of time and then be home for just a few days mm-hmm. and then figuring out right. how to make things interesting. Yeah. I think like during the pandemic was a great like lesson in kind of shopping one, you know, we didn't want to go shopping very often because everybody was scared to go outside. So everybody kind of learned how to keep going back to the cupboard for as long as possible. And I think it was really enlightening for me as well to kind of, you know, that whole saying like what to cook when there's nothing in the house to eat. And then realizing like, there's actually a lot, there's a lot here, you know, if you have canned beans and, tuna and canned tomatoes and you know those dry goods like the rice noodles yep dry goods for sure yeah you know you can really you can really make something special happen by the way uh in that vein kind of inspired by our cooking latkes and your griddle that you sent Mm -hmm. to me i have been making Mm -hmm. different latkes like latkes with carrot grates in them or 
uh, zucchini filings in it. So different flavors of vodka on the griddle, just kind of getting creative. And I, so I think this is like the first time I've usually stuck to recipes, but I've been like sort of like bouncing around. Like we made uh, zoodles together. Yes, we did. And I've started (laughs) like trying my vegan life out, like making zucchini noodles and impossible Mm. meat meatballs and All of that. Yeah. So just like I want to thank you and your cookbooks for giving me permission to sort of like play around, which is something I haven't. Riff, baby. Yeah, exactly. You're like, especially when you're cooking for yourself, you're like, I mean, I'll probably eat it. I'll eat anything. And and then if it turns out great, then I can feed it to other people. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. That's what I say. Like, eat the mistakes. People are like, what do I do if it doesn't come out the way I thought it was? Like, eat it. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, the the life of a recipe developer is that, you know, people think like we must write these recipes. No, we make a bad version of it like three different times before figuring it out and then writing the good version. So failure is like part of it. It's part of figuring out what you need to do differently to make it better. So, you know, I, I make mistakes. I make dishes that didn't come out the way I wanted them to. I've served things to my family where I'm like, just heads up, this isn't very good, but it is 100% right. what we're having for dinner tonight. But and here it comes. Yeah. <laughs> open up. Choo-choo train is coming. <laughs> um, oh, my God. That's life. With drag, too, like, there's a lot of performances where, yes. like, I'm like, listen, I memorized this, so it's happening tonight. Uh, tip me, cheer, yes. because <laughs> it's going to be a mess. That's right. And, like, a lot of this, like, great stuff comes out of, like, just working through those mistakes and sometimes making them work. I think also people don't want to have a fail. And it seems, yeah, you know, it can be really crushing, but... If you kind of accept the fact that there's going to be fails and yeah. experience them, they're they're definitely in the minority. Like you're going to have more wins than fails. And so when you do have a shit day or a bad workout or a, you know, a bad show or whatever it is, it makes you yeah. actually be like more comfortable with with failures because Cuz you don't die. You yeah, don't die exactly. from it and you're like, "Oh, Exactly. It's just like something you went through and then you just kind of keep going. Um, you know, and definitely yeah. during the pandemic, I had, I faced so many of my, my failures and my shortcomings because of what had happened at Bon Appetit. And it was dark, dark days, but yeah, I don't, I, I have not wished that that didn't happen actually. Wow. Um, yeah, because, you know, time passes and and then we're, you know, here we are, like just, just being grateful that you got that time, basically. Yeah. Speaking of disasters and failures, we're going to talk about some disasters and failures tomorrow when I join you on your podcast. That is correct. So stay tuned for that. If you like this podcast and you enjoy Carla and me together, we're going to, I don't know when it will be released, but we're going to record tomorrow <laughs> and I'm going to talk about yep. one of my most epic kitchen failings, which oh, I'm so excited. That's yeah. So our podcast is called Borderline Salty um, and it's yes. me and Rick Martinez. Um, and one of our regular segments we're going to have is 
great cooks and, you know, really smart, um, inspiring people like yourself come on and talk about like the worst thing that ever happened in the kitchen. And it's just a reminder. It is a reminder that like everyone has been there. Gordon Ramsay has been there. I've been there. You just have a bad day. And then, you know, the next day is a different day. It's going to be so fun to hear um, oh, yeah. what story you've got queued up for us. I can't wait to talk to you again. I want to tell our listeners, <laughs> like, listen, you have to get that sounds so good. Follow everything that Carla does because she brings so much joy to food and to life and where they connect. So I can't wait for the day when we could cook together again. Yeah. So I'm so happy you're back on the road. It's awesome. And we're holding you to it. We're going to we're gonna stick with you until we can cook together again. And this, this world, this pandemic has eased up a little bit and life is a little bit easier. We adore you, Carla. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me and um, best of luck with everything. Thank you. Okay, Caitlin, that was our interview for today. And as usual, it is so easy to talk to Carla about literally anything. Can you believe you've known her for like four years now? Yeah, I can, because it feels like we're family. You know what I mean? And then still, every time I learn something new about her, I'm like... Her and Cracker really have a lot in common. common. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no wonder they get along so well. Yeah. We're two book nerds and uh, I love food. And love food. Yeah. And yeah. like, I, I just love the story of her life and how she. I mean, we've had a lot of people that have bounced around to different things, but I love the fact that everything ties together. Like, all her experiences come yeah, together. And like, she if uses she the- didn't do one step, in that journey, yeah. she wouldn't be where she is now. Yeah, you know exactly. Just interesting to think about. Yep. Please get Carla's book. It's so wonderful. It's beautiful. It's shot all in her apartment, probably due to these tough times. Yeah. <laughs> but it's so gorgeous, and it's such a glimpse into her life. Um, but enough about that. Let's take a little break. Okay, we're back. Now, before we continue, let me say this. If you enjoy your time with us today, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. We love reviews. In fact, we love them so much, we're going to read some of our favorite reviews at the end of the show, which is what we are going to do right now. And, Craitlin, do you have a favorite review for this week? Yes, I do. This one is a kind of long one, so I want to shorten it a bit. But it is from Maria, and she says, I don't want to be that sappy person, but I guess I'm going to have to be. Ms. Cracker and Caitlin, I've been a big fan for a while. As soon as I saw your announcement that you were making this podcast, I've been hooked since day one. And then she goes on and talks about a lot of hardships she had during the pandemic. And she says she's been re-listening to our podcast for a bit of normalcy and to feel like I've got an old friend in my ears. Thank you so much for your content and the message you create for all women and people who love women. I love you, Ms. Cracker and Caitlin. That makes me so happy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm glad that we could bring normalcy into people's lives. Yeah. Because that's the exact intention of this podcast. We built it for these difficult times and to give people Mm -hmm. some inspiration, not only from our good news, but from the great stories of the ladies who join us all the time. So, Yeah, that's one of the reasons we created it, because we too were struggling to feel normal and happy during 
COVID. So we were like, let's give, our, give ourselves a little project. Yeah. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Like it was either that or uh, puzzle making, which yeah, we Yeah. Well, also, also that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so thank you, uh, Maria. Yeah. Thank you so much. And remember, everybody, if you want to have your review read on this show, all you have to do is write one and then we'll read yes, it. Because we love you. Yeah. <laughs> so. All right. Enough of that happiness. It's time for my favorite part of the podcast, the credits. This podcast was produced by Caitlin Gretham, and then I did it. The cast includes me and also Caitlin, and it is distributed by the amazing Studio 71. So thank you for joining us today. No thanks to Optimum for kicking us off of the Wi-Fi. So we had to use like a hotspot. Uh, send them hate mail. Send them hate. <laughs> Don't send hate. Send love to me, blah, blah, blah. Um, but anyway, make sure to tune in next Monday for another exciting episode. And remember, if you ever feel down, all you have to do is look in the mirror and say, she's a woman. And I'll be with you. I can always feel your like voice going up once you get closer and closer to saying she's a woman together. <laughs> yeah. You're so excited here. <laughs> so I'm so like, excited. oh, she's excited. <laughs> and we just, I just guzzled like 24 <laughs> ounces of iced coffee. So I am uh, on fire, Caitlin. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, stupid. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.